listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Yes, welcome everybody to Ministering in a Spiritual Dessert. We've got panna cotta, tiramisu, we've got all sorts of things up here. Uh, no, uh, it's great to have you all here, and welcome to all of you joining us online. Um, I'm excited to hear David and Emily, our special guests for this uh, weekend's Go Time events, sharing about ministering in a spiritual desert. We were talking at a lunch with them and all of our staff a couple of days ago about just getting a bit of a preview of what they're about to share and discussing like the antagonism to apathy and everything in between, and how do you deal with all that? What are the my phrase was, what are the habits of worship that you have to engage in regularly in order to survive in that kind of an environment? Not just survive, but present Jesus well through your own life and ministry. So very excited to hear what they have to share. We will be uh, saving a little bit of time at the end for questions. So if you have any questions, jot them down, hold on to those. If you're online in the chat, drop those in the chat window, and I will grab them and uh, ask them at the end. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump right in and get started if you guys are ready. Let's do it. Father, thank you for this evening and the chance for us to hear from David and Emily and their experience, the things that they have learned, uh, not just from, uh, from a book or from anywhere else, but from actually living this and putting it into practice. Pray that what they have to share would be instructive and beneficial for us as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, it's all yours. Thanks, Pastor Joey. We're really thankful for the opportunity that uh, we have tonight to share with you some of our observations from the past 10 years of serving in Italy, uh, combined with what God has been teaching us personally in these past couple of years specifically. But um, for, those, for the benefit of those online, perhaps watching this uh, recording later on, we're David and Emily Satola, and we've been uh, in Italy, Forli, Italy, for the past 10 years with our three children, teenage children now. Um, in our ear, we met in college, um, got to know each other, and as we got more serious in dating and, and towards marriage, we, we realized, recognized a, a shared burden for global missions together. And in our early years of marriage, we um, went down to Columbia International University in South Carolina, um, both took some classes in seminary there. And then we, um, it was there that our eyes were really open to the spiritual desert of Europe, and in particular Italy, through a series of relationships and conversations, and, and eventually we um, became a, a part of the organization team, the Evangelical Alliance Mission, and in 2012 we moved to Italy spent four years in language and culture learning in the city of Perugia, and then in 2016, we moved to Forli, where we have been for the past six years. And while Italy is obviously a beautiful country to live in, a rich cultural heritage, it's, uh, it, it's really uh, a, an amazing place, but then when you look at it from a spiritual perspective, it's like a void. Um, there's a huge void there, speaking spiritually. Uh, less than 1% of the population of Italy uh, is, are evangelical Christians, have a personal relationship with Jesus. And so we've been ministering there. Our primary ministry in Fort Lee is evangelism and discipleship, basically leading, shepherding a small church uh, with a heart for reaching out to this, our city with the gospel. And this involves a variety of activities, including personal group Bible studies, counseling, um, leadership development in the church, summer camp with children, English conversation groups, holiday parties, and, and various other outreaches, just to, to name a few. Uh, we're really thankful that God has currently allowed us to be in this role of leadership in the local church there in Fort Lee as we continue learning and growing. Um, but as uh, the past two or three years, we've gotten to know Pastor Joey and uh, come back here to faith a few times, and he's mentioned to us now and then in conversation how the American church can learn from those in the European context of church planting because of the tendency that we're seeing in America, here in North America, it has in following Europe in uh, uh, this post-Christian culture. So traditional church, whether it's Anglican in the UK or Catholic in Southern Europe, or even here in the U.S., more uh, uh, evangelical denominations. In general, it is declining. The influence of the church in society is declining, and we see that all around us. Certainly, there are some cultural differences between 
America and Europe, but it's obvious that both continents uh, have crossed that threshold of postmodernism where consumerism and just the, the pursuit of personal happiness and satisfaction far outweighs uh, the, the average person's um, desire to follow God or even seek spiritual things, begin their own spiritual journey. So while there are still many more evangelical Christians here in America, North America, compared to Europe, the trend is that it is heading the direction of Europe, where, as I mentioned earlier, less than 1%, at least in Italy, of the population would confess to be evangelical Christians and follow, actively following Christ. Just a few numbers to, to share with you numerically. I just did a quick search the other day. I, this is based off of Pew Research online. The increase in the proportion of population that is Christian has grown 33% in Africa, 16% in Asia, 10% in the Americas, which includes North and South America, primarily in South America, and only 1% in Europe over the past 40 years. So this is a trend that we've seen in, in missions in the past um, half, half century or so that um, it's no secret that the, the, the focus of global Christianity is shifting to the global south, Africa, Asia, and South America. But this is not a, a seminar. We're not intending to talk about the reasons why. This is not about missiology. Rather, we'd like to share with you some of our experience in living in one of these cultures and serving through the ups and the downs of ministry in what we're referring to as a spiritual desert. So what exactly do we mean by this, by a spiritual desert? Well, a culture that largely rejects absolute truth, uh, a culture where faith support systems are weak or not present at all. And by that, I mean a significant lack in evangelical churches or the influence of church in society, any kind of radio stations, any kind of resources, really, books, seminars um, in general are very difficult to find compared to, uh, to here at least in Europe right now, where spiritual interest, a culture where spiritual interest is low or zero, <laughs> where you find very little people interested in spiritual things. In fact, very, very little new life in Christ, where you can witness to people for years before you see them come to Christ, where, where you measure progress by steps of, of coming toward the gospel, being willing to study the Bible. Those kind of things are very exciting and um, where evangelical churches perhaps may be present, when they're present, they have very little influence and they're very divided, very divided, and therefore their influence is very uh, limited. It's not like what we see Jesus referring to, for example, in John 17, where people know that we're Christians by the effect, by the, the witness of the church in general. So the way we'd like to structure the seminar tonight is we'll, we'll kind of jump back and forth, tag team, and we'd like to share with you Two practices and two tools, which there's a little overlap between some of them, but basically the, we named them all with a beginning with a P, so it makes it a little easier to remember. Practicing gratitude, participating in gospel transformation, pausing in the presence of God, and prompting others to experience life. So these are some tools, disciplines, practices that have helped us to thrive rather than just survive in this spiritual desert that we've been living in. In order to continue ministering in a spiritual desert, the most important thing that we can do is to stay firmly connected to the source of life, right? The true vine, Jesus Christ, God himself. Just like as if we were living in a spiritual, uh, excuse me, in a physical desert, the primary need is what? Water, right? We need water to survive. For, Physically, our bodies are, are made that way. So the same way, in a spiritual desert, the most important aspect of ministry is our own spiritual health because ministry flows out of who we are personally. So we'd like to share with you what we've found to be a few fundamental ways of staying connected to the vine, as Jesus mentions in John 15. There obviously are tons of resources on this, piles of books on um, soul care and spiritual disciplines, and we're very grateful, thankful for those. We've drawn upon them at times, but this seminar isn't an effort to cover all of that type of material, but just simply sharing with you what we've found to be very helpful in these past uh, 10 years or so of ministry. So I'm going to kick it off with practicing gratitude, and then we'll just kind of flip back and forth between these couple of, uh, 
of things. So practicing gratitude is one of the first and foundational tools that we found to be helpful, even in the midst of hard times, difficult times. Uh, this is a, a concept that is rooted and grounded in Scripture. And we see this all throughout Scripture. It's kind of woven throughout Scripture. If you think about even in the Old Testament, probably the first thing that comes to mind are the Psalms, right? David often talks about um, praising the Lord, entering Psalm 100, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him. Bless his name. Another example, and I'd like to read a few of these scriptures uh, in Psalm 136, verses 1 through 3. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, to the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endures forever. And of course, the psalm goes on recounting the, the mercy of the Lord and how we're to give thanks. In many psalms, we can find that our, uh, the theme of them is giving thanks. And then in the New Testament, the first person that came to my mind anyway was the Apostle Paul. And there are, there are many examples of the Apostle Paul, but um, I'd like to read a few from, uh, well, Ephesians. Uh, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Colossians, each chapter in the, in the book of Colossians, uh, I'll read a couple of verses from chapter 1, verses 12 and four, through 14. Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to be partakers in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Wow. I mean, th that right there is huge motivation to give thanks and to praise to God. And just these kinds of verses in, in in meditating on them, our hearts are just overflowing with gratitude and thanks to God. If we look at chapter 2, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. In chapter 3, uh, verses 15 to 17, we read, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you are also called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So even in these few examples that we've just mentioned, we're reminded of the importance of practicing gratitude. Uh, there's a verse in Nehemiah 8:11. You probably recognize that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And where does the joy of the Lord come from? It comes from our identity in Christ, right? Our identity in Christ just it flows out. The gratitude flows from that. It isn't the person who's happy who's thankful, but it's thankful people who are happy, right? It isn't happy people who are thankful but it's thankful people who are happy. We, we used this, uh, this discipline during the, the hardest part of the lockdown during this pandemic. In 2020, in the beginning of the pandemic, it hit Italy really hard, and we were all forced to stay in our homes. The, the, the national government actually said, the government said, not more than 200 meters from your home except for groceries. And so we were all five of us stuck in our little apartment for weeks on end. And uh, Emily had this idea that we write something we were thankful for every night at dinner and put it in a jar. And so we did that for a couple of weeks. And it was amazing as we write things down, it kind of cements it in your mind, in your heart, and then you read them to each other. And it just, as you read each, each other's thankfulness, it helps you to remind yourself of what you're thankful for. And then we went back a year later when there were other waves of the pandemic coming through. We would read through these again and look back and see how God was faithful and the, the, um, the way that we were thankful even in the midst of this difficult time where ministry had stopped in a sense in the normal uh, ways that we have did it. Life itself stopped in the normal sense of what we were used to. And yet we can be thankful even in those, those times. So it, this, this idea of practicing gratitude can be as simple as meditating on these verses like the ones I just read. Or the, you know, if you do a simple search in Scripture, you can find tons of verses about thankfulness and thanksgiving. And just meditating on these verses 
writing things down. Celebrating small victories is another thing in Luke 15, 10. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And in the spiritual desert, it is very slow. You may see people slowly taking steps. And when there's one person that comes to know Christ, there's not hundreds. Like I know in some contexts, you read of hundreds of people coming to Christ, making commitments for Christ. In Europe, it's not like that. In Italy, it does not happen. You see one person, and we rejoice with one person that comes to know Christ. So celebrating small victories is another way of practicing gratitude. Um, keeping a thankful journal, perhaps writing it down, whether it's on a piece of paper that you put in a jar or just something you keep for yourself, just between yourself and God. Writing these things down, even on a daily basis, helps cement them into our minds and helps us keep that mindset of thankfulness, choosing uh, to be thankful rather than to dwell on the difficulties that, that are around us. Um, Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about renewing our minds, right? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or discern what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So being thankful is actually related to the will of God because God wills that we are thankful in all things. This is a spiritual, um, a biblical concept. So um, a tool to counter the difficulties in life that, um, that come in context of living in a spiritual desert. Satan's attacks, which we know God allows, when our circumstances are out of control, when people don't seem to be cooperating with us. It's often, right, it's these two things. It's circumstances and people that have the greatest effect on, on our emotional well-being, on our spiritual well-being, and even physically. And our natural desire is to fix the problem. We see these difficulties and we want to fix them, control the, the circumstance. We want to do what we can to control it or change it, or uh, the same thing with the person. But often God is allowing these things in our life so that if we continue in complaining or griping about them, we're staying on that side. Whereas if, um, if we cross the bridge to thanksgiving, this allows us to, to move from, if you see in this slide behind me here, there's this, Thanksgiving acts as a bridge between remaining in an attitude of griping and, and railing against God. Thanksgiving helps us to move toward accepting God's will, whatever this is for our life at that time. So this practice has been a significant life giving experience for us, helping keep us connected to the vine in these difficult times that we've been living in. Um, Emily's going to share with you now a little bit about participating, the second um, P of participating in gospel transformation. Well, as David has already alluded to, um, whether you're living in a spiritual desert or whether you're living in an oasis, you're interacting with people. And whether it's church ministry, a church planting team, event planning, discipleship relationships, evangelism, family life, coworkers, your neighbor, your spouse, um, it's hard to imagine ministry without interacting with people. <laughs> um, and so that, that is an amazing tool that, that God uses for us to demonstrate the body of Christ. And so therefore it is also a gr one of the greatest places where Satan likes to attack and uh, tear us down as well. So um, one thing that, that I think is really important to keep in mind when we are in a spiritual desert is that the more sin abounds, the easier it is to normalize it um, or brush it aside or, or just tuck it down or get used to it in a sense. Um, but that's very, very dangerous as we all know. Um, and so one of our sort of survival, survival thriving uh, tactics and tools that God has really been walking us through in these last few years is cultivating that ability to recognize when am I sinning, when do I need to ask for forgiveness and restore a relationship, uh, bring this before the Lord and be, be self-aware um, and, and how to keep healthy interpersonal relationships. Um, we had the privilege of attending a conference last fall with a, a bunch of Italian church planters. It was um, 
you know, we go to different conferences with missionaries, but this one was really geared towards Italian church planters. And they had different seminars and whatnot. But the one that sticks in my mind was a panel discussion between four or five of them and an interviewer. And the interviewer asked them, what is the most significant thing that your mentor has taught you as far as church planting? And I'll never forget the one that responded right away. It was the mentor that modeled to me how to ask for forgiveness. The mentor himself was a missionary. Um, and it, I think that it, was, it just blew this Italian's mind his, his concept of, of interpersonal relationships to have this missionary mentor ask forgiveness of him. You know, I don't, he didn't even say what it was for, but just, just in life, we do that, right? We need, we need to ask forgiveness. Um, and so in a spiritual desert, in, a, in an oasis, wherever it is, um, soul care, lasting ministry um, is really based in keeping our interpersonal relationships healthy. So I'm going to walk through a series of slides, um, hopefully rather quickly, but they're, they're going to get down and dirty pretty fast. <laughs> and you'll see what I mean. Um, but this comes from material called Called to Obedience. And this is um, a discipleship program that we walked through with uh, a mentor. And about two years ago, we walked through it. So it's designed to be used uh, in a one-on-one -on -one, um type of situation or or two on one in our case but walking this through with with a mentor this is how the material is designed so what i'm going to talk about now is just going to be like the the tip of a very big iceberg but i think there are some basic principles that are worth sharing with you all that have been um been very helpful for us um in multiple situations so the first the first slide four approaches to a problem Number four, I'll go straight to number four. This is what we're aiming for. Uh, we wanna go straight through, a pro through the problem. But we all have tendencies towards number one, two, and three. Number one, maybe you're the person that wants to suppress or ignore the problem. You pretend that it's not there. I see no problem. I don't want my boat to be rocked, so there is no problem. That's number one. Number two, this is where I land in my tendency, uh, to go around and around in the problem. I will fix the problem. I will think about it from every angle possible and try and control this situation until I fix it, relying on my resources. Number three is uh, the person that wants to escape the problem. Maybe it's fantasy, social media, TV, sports, all kinds of things um, we escape to, to avoid um, confronting or working through a problem, so I will escape. Number four, I will uh, walk um, in a way that relies on God to take me through the problem and to, to face it and deal with it depending on him, accepting God's plan and persevering um, with the Lord and with his resources. Why am I showing you this? And then the next slide um, as well. Let's go ahead to, to the next slide, the root, the root cause of all sin. In order to be healthy, we it's very helpful for us to understand um, why we're sinning or why we are implementing these layers of self-protection, these strategies that we use to, to avoid um, humility or avoid a problem or, or trying to fix things on our own. We wanna rationalize or justify what we're, what we're doing. So the first outer layer is our layer of self-protection, our strategies and whether we are not a believer, whether we've been a believer for a short time, or whether we've been a believer for, for decades, we all tend towards different self-protection strategies. Maybe it's arguing, manipulating, convincing, es escaping, being negative or critical, defensive. Uh, even people-pleasing can be a self-protection strategy or minimizing our sin. Um, these are all these are all tendencies that we can uh, resonate with to one to one layer or not. The closer we are in a relationship, the more we see these, right? So when we walked through this with our mentor, guess who we talked about? <laughs> our marriage. <laughs> um, that's where we see these in the most maybe authentic way. And then of course we use these strategies in, in different relationships. Well, why do we use these strategies? Because we're operating out of fear. Maybe we have fear of failure, fear of pain, 
fear of the future, fear of rejection. These are some of the really common um, categories. Well, and what does what do those fears stem from? We we have these fears because we are prideful. We're we're unbelieving in God's resources. We're we're trying to control our world on our own. And and so then if you work your way out from from the the bullseye there, I will control my world depending on myself. Well, then we have fear that we're losing control. And then we use the self-protection strategies of, of regaining control of our world. Praise the Lord, it doesn't end here. But being aware of this is really helpful in our interpersonal relationships and really helpful in trying to think about how am I going to now rely on God's resources for him to change our heart. So if we go to the next slide, this slide um, is love-motivated obedience. This is, this is where we want to be. This is where we want to live and where we want to dwell. Where at the, at the center, we know um, the good news of the gospel, that God loves me. And the more that I understand that and the more that I am overwhelmed by God's grace, which I understand because I know what he saved me from, I have a greater awareness of what he's rescuing me from, the more I overflow with love for him, obedience, worship, reverence, submission, and the more therefore I love others. It becomes um, I get to obey um, instead of I have to obey, and I humbly serve um, and share the love of Christ with others. And this quote um, by by Tim Keller from, from the Gospel Key to Change says, the solution to our lack of obedience is not to try harder, but to encounter the radical grace of God. And Pastor Jeff even touched on it this morning um, in his sermon. Um, I wrote down some of the things he said. We forgive because we've already been forgiven. Forgiven people forgive, and those who have been forgiven love much. If we don't understand these basic concepts and are self-aware and are working um, working on these things, uh, then, then we're not going to thrive in a spiritual desert for sure. On the next slide, this one, this is one that really could be its own whole separate talk. So we're not going to get to go as deep as, um, as we could on this one. But I'm, I'm going to just explain step one, two, and three briefly and just give an example of how that's been really, this has been really helpful um, in our ministry. Um, also, obviously, our marriage and our family life, our relationships with our kids, but also our ministry and others. Step one, forgiving. The thing that's, that, that I really resonate and found really liberating, um, freeing in this particular diagram is the first step is unconditional between me and the Lord. I am releasing a person from any bitterness or judgment or anger before the Lord. I'm forgiving them in prayer. And I don't even have to talk to that person yet, but if I've been wounded, I can forgive um, in prayer, no matter what happens in the relationship. But it doesn't stop there, obviously, we know that. Step two, confess your sin to God, agree with God, acknowledge your sin, and take responsibility for your actions and attitudes. This is also unconditional between me and the Lord. This is a conversation where I recognize maybe some of those self-protective strategies that I used when I felt attacked or wounded, and I maybe didn't respond in a godly way. Well, this is the moment where I, before the Lord, confess that. So see, step one and two are with the Lord before step three happens, and that's when I go and seek forgiveness. No matter what that person's done to hurt me, um, I can go and seek forgiveness because I've recognized maybe a sinful way that I've responded to a way that I've been hurt. Um, True reconciliation is conditional. It does require both parties. And the ongoing process kind of goes even beyond that. I'm not going to go into all that at the moment. But this has been a life-giving process of learning that we've gone through in, in many relationships that um, in our marriage, you know, re just recognizing what are these self-protective strategies? How can I forgive and confess and ask forgiveness in, in order to maintain um, a healthy relationship? Okay, the next set, two sets of slides. Let's go to the next one. Oh, no, I put this one first, sorry. Okay, we'll talk about this one first. Steps to releasing fears to God. Yeah, this one makes sense to do now because it relates to that inner layer 
uh, the inner circle of the fears, the fears of rejection, failure, future, and pain. This has been super helpful to me. I've heard this from, not just from this material, but from other talks that I've listened to. Uh, sometimes I've heard it called the litany, uh, litany to releasing fears um, to, to the Lord. And it's just very basic, but I find it to be very life-giving to just name, God, I am afraid of whatever it is. I'm afraid of failure. I'm afraid of being rejected by this person. Da, 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 da. All kinds of little things. The more we think about it, the more we can identify what it is that triggers this in us. And then claim God's promises. Think of his, think of his promises in the word. Think of the character traits that we know about God from, from the Bible. Even if this fear happens, I know that you will give me this promise and that you are this, this type of God for me. So this is just a really basic two-step thing that every once in a while it's good to do a heart checkup. And this, help, this helps to keep us healthy in our walk with the Lord. Okay, now we are going to go to the self-life. Yes. And what I love about this slide and the next slide is a transformation that I think you'll, you'll see. The self-life, my goal is to have an ideal life, hmm. to have a happy life, not a terrible goal, <laughs> but not necessarily a kingdom goal, uh, to have a life filled with pleasure, a pain-free life. None of us wants to suffer. Um, none of these are bad things, but when they become our goals in life, they become an idol and they become, um, they, t they lead us away from the Lord. I want to have life under my control. Well, okay, that one's obvious that, that we can recognize. Yeah, that's, that's not right. We see as roadblocks to our goals, difficult people, painful circumstances, failed expectations, rejection, illness, losses, etc. When we see these as roadblocks, they can trigger an ungodly response. They can trigger pride, controlling tendencies. They can certainly trigger anxiety, people-pleasing, anger, bitterness, all these things um, when they are our goals. But when we switch to the next slide, the surrendered life, living for God's kingdom, God's goals, there's four at the top, to glorify him, to know him intimately, to grow in godliness, and to serve an eternal purpose. And there's scriptures with each one of these four things that, that supports each of, these, each of these, God, these goals of the Lord. Then what happens? All these other things become stepping stones to God's goals. Difficult people, painful circumstances, failed expectations, rejection, illness, losses, etc. God gives us his resources, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the scripture, the body of Christ, suffering even, um, that all take us down this path. Instead of seeing these things as obstacles, then they become stepping stones. And just that shift of, of a mindset um, for us has been really powerful in learning to, to, to view them that way. Um, we view them as, as opportunities to draw on God's resources. We die to ourself. We submit to God, um, no matter what the cost is, just like, like Christ did. So those, um, yeah, I think those are all, those, those are, are some slides that if you're interested in, in having those later, we can get those to you as well. Um, but they've been just really powerful uh, tools in our lives and, and practical resources and how to continue towards interpersonal relationships um, and not just brushing aside the, the, the difficulties and the, the, the challenges that the people are. We all, each one of us is our own problem. <laughs> but it gives us um, some resources got, that are gospel-centered. Practicing gospel transformation in our relationships helps us to thrive in a hard place. I'll just say a little parenthesis here, just uh, a plug for this material. Um, as Emily mentioned, we went through this with... Uh, Actually, it's a classmate of mine from seminary who now works with this organization called to obedience And if you're interested, we would love to we'd be happy to go through this material with you or or put you in touch with them So that you can get more of these um, these this material because it is as Emily said just the beginning of the iceberg <laughs> There's lots lots more and it, it's been really helpful in in our ministry both in evangelism and in discipleship with people um, so 
yeah, it's, it's a really great, um, great program. Uh, um, so, how's it going? You've heard this question before, and we have it in Italian too. Come va? Very typical, typical question we ask each other often, and usually we don't want the full response. We just want, oh, pretty good, okay, good, yeah, a, a typical greeting. Well, um, how are we really doing is a question that we ought to be asking ourselves often on a deeper level, in a deeper sense of how are we really doing in our relationship with God. Because we said earlier, right, ministry flows out of who we are. Ministry flows out of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. So how are you doing in your relationship with your Heavenly Father? As we were reflecting on, as we were reflecting on um, ministering in a spiritual desert, there's one verse in particular that God has put on my heart recently in the, the past couple of months. It's 1 Thessalonians 1 verse, actually two verses, two and three. It's when Paul is, is just addressing the church in Thessalonians. And he says, remembering without ceasing your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. This verse in particular, these verses can be an indicator, can be used as an indicator of how we're doing. Are we working, laboring, enduring, and is that ministry undergirded? Is it produced out of, is it flowing out of faith, love, and endurance, or hope? When we're in a healthy place, our work, our labor is produced by these three characteristics, faith, love, and hope, or endurance. There are three characteristics that are especially important when ministering in a spiritual desert, because when you don't see much fruit, you don't see much uh, result from all your work and labor and efforts, you need to realize that it's not what we're doing that's getting it there. It's the faith, the love, the hope. The opposite side of that is ministry driven out of anxiety or fear or tension, stress. I've noticed over the past 10 years, it's happened to me often that I've been thinking, oh, I have to get this done today, or I can't go to bed until I finish this, or this needs to be done, or I'm so anxious about this next meeting because I know the person is upset, or etc. It's the opposite. Unfortunately, though, just like faith, love, and endurance, these other characteristics of anxiety, stress, and fear are passed on to those who are ministering to, whether it's family, church members, uh, coworkers, these, these type of um, emotions can be not only um, communicated uh, non-verbally, but felt, actually, as we're ministering to people. This fear or anxiety produces in us a desire to become controlling of circumstances and people, as we mentioned earlier. But a truth from Scripture that we learn, anxiety cannot coexist with the presence of God, right? The presence of God casts out all fear, all anxiety. So some helpful questions to ask ourselves. Am I ministering, whether it's full-time ministry as a pastor, whether it's marketplace ministry with your coworkers, am I ministering out of faith, love, and hope or endurance? Or am I living in anxiety, fear, and stress? Some of the signs, we can see these um, commonly, these signs of stress become obvious when we start to tense up. We, our mind starts to spin. For me, and I've, we've seen it in each other, we can't fall asleep at night because our mind is turning and turning. Maybe you've experienced that where you're trying to figure out how do I fix this situation or how do I change this person and their response. It, you can't sleep at night because you're constantly thinking. You're agitated. It, and these days, we pull out our phone more often. We just get on our phone and start looking at different apps because we don't know what else to do or jittery. This anxiety occupies space in our mind. Two things that cannot coexist, anxiety and the presence of God. So what can we practically do about this? Four, four suggestions that I'll, I have for you. The first is to take a Sabbath. And obviously, Sabbath doesn't just mean Sunday. Sunday can be a Sabbath. It can be a day of rest. But sleep can be a Sabbath. <laughs> it's not unspiritual to sleep if we need to sleep. The average, uh, I've read in, in various places, that the average number of hours of sleep for an adult is seven to nine hours a night. 
often I hadn't been getting seven to nine hours of sleep, but I noticed that as I sleep less, if I get four or five hours, and then I'm hyped up on caffeine because I need to get going the next day, that, that energy goes toward other people, and they sense that stress, that anxiety, rather than the presence of God. Sleep is, is helpful in taking a Sabbath, in resting. It has a great effect on our physical. Our, our bodies are interconnected physically, emotionally, spiritually. We're interconnected beings, and so sleep, exercise, Eating a healthy diet, all these things have an effect on our emotional and physical and spiritual well-being. So I can go to sleep at night trusting, knowing that God is in control, the sovereignty of God, trusting in the sovereignty of God, knowing that whatever I didn't get done today, God is going to take care of because I've given 110% and I know that he's going to take care of the rest. And so I can rest in peace knowing that it's not up to me. Another practical suggestion is check your heart rate. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of us have these wrist watches now that are sports watches and we have our heart rate right here on our wrist. But I'm, I'm speaking more of a, a, a spiritual heart rate. What is our spiritual heart rate? What am I feeling? Am I anxious? Am I dreading this task that I have to do? Am I dreading this meeting with this person or with this group? Am I angry? Take these feelings and just stop for a moment. Give these feelings to the Lord. Release them to God and trust in him. It's part of renewing our mind like we talked about earlier. Ideally, it's great if we could do this at least on a, a daily basis for five or ten minutes. Just take a few minutes each day and do a check-in. Do a, a heart rate check with the Lord. Perhaps a longer time each week, 30 minutes, 60 minutes each week. Take time aside. Be quiet. Put your phone, your, your devices aside and take that time to do a check-in. Um, and even a longer time, a full, a half day or a full day, once a month, it's, it's very encouraging to just be still before the Lord, to be still, be, be with God. Being aware of his presence, this is another, um, another exercise that we can do. God is always present with us. We know that, that God's presence never leaves us, but being aware of his presence with us. Sometimes we, don't, we fail to recognize his presence or we fail to recognize what is stealing our recognition of his presence with us. It may be uh, our schedule. It may be the tyranny of the urgent, these things that have to get done, and, and I can't see anything but this task that needs to be done. It may be our phones with so many apps and so little time. We have to check all of our social media and see what's going on and who's saying what. Too much input inhibits our ability to filter or discern what is truly important. So we need to create space. We need to carve out moments of silence, solitude, quiet in our lives. And be sure to leave space in our schedule. Leave space for God encounters, not necessarily planned things, but intentional. Intentional ways in, in which we can uh, allow the Holy Spirit, allow ourselves to see what the Holy Spirit is doing around us. And then a last suggestion, giving weekly time to something or someone that is life-giving for us. Perhaps this is an accountability partner. I know a lot of people already have accountability partners where you just ask a few questions. Where, where have you seen God working in your life this, this last week? And then celebrate it together. Take time to celebrate those little victories that we talked about earlier. Where have you felt God absent in your life? We know God is always present with us, but sometimes our feelings, our emotions don't feel that. Pray together about those things. Praying together with an accountability partner, with a friend, is a way that we can counter this. Um, and just these type of activities that are life-giving to us. For me, personally, it's exercise. I try to exercise almost every day. Just a run, a bike ride, just getting out in nature, for me, that's life-giving. Finding these life-giving things that help us to recognize the presence of God in our lives can be really helpful and life-giving to us. So. Experiencing beauty is another one. Mm -hmm. Just getting out and noticing what is beautiful around me um, and in my family. What is beautiful in my family? What is beautiful on the wall? <laughs> um, yeah, lots of different things can be life-giving. The last uh, point that we want to talk about is prompting others to experience life. So, um, on our slides, we've had these, this, this photo of, of the rocks 
and a flower growing out of it. And as we visit around different cities in Italy, I mean, Italy's ancient, literally. <laughs> and, and I love noticing where flowers are growing in hard places because there, you see that. You see these huge, massive stone walls. And, and I found that I took this picture, but I couldn't find one where I had zoomed out a little bit more. It's like an enormous wall. Uh, that's all stone, but then it's just amazing that you see these beautiful flowers growing out of really, really odd and hard places. And I've kind of snapped pictures over the years when I see things like that, because it's just a really key visual reminder to me that, that God is working even in hard places, and he's showing me that, and he's showing us that. So, so this last point um, is one of our passions, encouraging that the life that we've been talking about in others. Um, and in particular, we've done a lot of training with coaching, using coaching and ministry. I know in the US, it seems to be a trend in a lot of different areas with health and sports and um, ministry and um, life, <laughs> life coaching. Uh, the, the training that we did, um, we did with YFC Materials, Logan Leadership. and. And they have this definition. Coaching is the process of coming alongside a person or a team to help them discover God's agenda for their life and ministry, and then cooperating with the Holy Spirit to see that agenda become a reality. And we just really resonate with this approach to relating to people, encouraging life, encouraging the Holy Spirit, noticing the Holy Spirit, because it it, it releases the pressure to produce the ministry. You know, I must produce. I must, I must show that I've done this, this, and this. Well, when you're coaching another person, you're in, you're you're just observing and asking questions and and encouraging them to see where is God working in their lives. What is it that they want to work on, and what are some things that they can do to help keep taking steps of obedience. Um. And so it's really a role of encouragement and empowerment. I've, in the last few years, had the privilege of being coached myself by one of the senior leaders in team, and I've had the privilege of coaching others, and both are just really joyful experience, and that's one of the things that's life-giving for me, and I think that that's true no matter what the spiritual climate um, of your culture or location. Um, and, and, and just real briefly, the, the five steps that, that we kind of work through relate don't skip the small talk. Chat with each other. Get to know each other. The relationship is so important. Reflect. Helping them reflect on what is God doing in their life? What does God, um, where's God working? What's a goal that they'd like to work on? What's a desire that they'd like to um, pursue? Helping them identify that. And then refocus. What are what are some steps that you want to take to get there? What is, what is how is the Lord leading you? Resource. This one, I love this one, actually. Um, what do you need? And, and I love this one because it's helping someone think outside the box. Um, okay, here's a book to read on this topic. Sure, that's an easy go-to for a resource. But there's so much more. There's time. Time is a resource. Money, people connections. This was one of my favorite. Connecting them with the right people. That is a resource. Or a certain experience. Uh, training opportunities, all the media, websites, podcasts, all, all the digital stuff that's out there now, forums for discussions, etc. Resourcing is, is sometimes where people get stuck. Well, I don't know how I can do this because I don't have what I need to do it. Um, but helping them sort of see those areas um, where they actually can find resources. And then, of course, reviewing and celebrating as they make progress. Um, so, so I guess for, for me and for us, this this mentality of prompting others to experience life is like helping helping foster the growth of more flowers and noticing more more life in these hard places. Yeah. Well, we want to leave a few minutes for questions at the end, but just to kind of tie some of these things together, I just want to share with you um, something that happened just recently, just before we came back to the states here. Uh, our organization team. I got an email uh, a while ago from a newly created position, a, a gentleman in a newly created position. He's a 30-year veteran of church planting in the Philippines, and he's now back in the U.S. as a church planting consultant. 
And so he said, would you like us to come and visit you and share some of our experience with you? And, uh, and I said, yeah, of course, absolutely. That would be great. Uh, so he came just before we came here, he and, him and his wife, and they spent just two days with us. But as we were driving around and I was sharing with him uh, some of our experiences in the past 10 years or so and showing him around our city, he, he kind of surprised me. He just said, what, what has kept you here? You've been sharing a lot about the ups and the downs, the difficulties of ministering here in Italy. And he's like, what, why are you still here? <laughs> and, and so I, I was kind of taken by surprise by that. Without even thinking, I said to him, well, calling and commitment. They were the first two words that popped in my mind. And that's not something that is just for missionaries or even pastors or those in full-time ministry, but all of us as believers, right? We are called by God, and we've committed our lives to him. So these, this idea of calling and commitment um, is really true for all of us as we, as we minister, whether it's here in America or whether it's in Europe. Um, also, th this past year, I've been teaching through the book of Mark in our church in, in Italy, and uh, I've seen how, uh, just as at the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus calls Simon Peter, the fisherman, Peter and his brother Andrew, and they, they are committed to following him all through the three or four years they're with him, but there are a lot of ups and downs, right? Mark, in particular, highlights the shortcomings of the disciples. He, he really highlights uh, their, their times of fear in the boat when they're sinking and Jesus is just sitting there sleeping and they're like, Lord, we're going to drown. We're going to drown. And yet they committed their whole lives to him and yet they're fearful because they didn't have that, that faith yet. They're, they're growing in their faith. There are times of doubt when um, the second time they had just fed the thousands with Jesus. They've participated in the miracle of feeding 5,000. And then a few weeks later, they repeat, Jesus repeats the miracle in a different area, and they're like, where, Lord, where are we going to find enough food to feed all these people? And like, <laughs> I feel like, why didn't Jesus say, you just did this with me three weeks ago. Why are you doubting? And yet, we do the same thing, right? We're just like the disciples. There are these ups and downs in spiritual, in, in ministry. Jesus gently, graciously restores the disciples. Even when Peter denies him three times, Jesus makes him a cornerstone of the church. And, and so we see this, that our, our calling and our commitment help remind us why we're ministering in a spiritual desert. And these things that we just talked about, practicing gratitude, participating in gospel transformation, pausing in the presence of God and prompting others to experience life, help us stay connected to that true vine so that we can thrive in a spiritual desert and not just surviving. So thank you all for tracking with us through this, this past hour. And if 